Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Entree Architect membership has monthly training, unlimited access to all our business resources, and a private member forum with hundreds of entrepreneur architects just like you. Everything you need to build a better business is available now at EntreeArchitect.com. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 259, and today I'm talking about small firm networks with Christian Jordan, co-founder of Jam Collective. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, Gusto. Gusto is refreshingly easy payroll, benefits, and HR for the modern small business. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more at RCAT.com, and FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. Christian Jordan, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's, it's good to have you here. Christian Jordan is an architect and a principal at PJA Architecture in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania. He's also co-founder of Jam Collective, which is a new organization building a uh, collaborative network for small firms. Jam Collective was a winner of the 2018 Charette Venture Group Architecture Business Plan Competition. So they were the winners 
which is why I invited Jordan here because I want to talk about Jam and what it is. It's a very innovative idea, uh, and it's exciting. So uh, listen up. Um, and as an aside, registration for the 2019, this year's business plan competition is happening right now. The registration actually is, is, uh, d- is done. But if you got in on registration, we're in the process with that right now. So watch for, for updates on that. Um, Jam Collective creates opportunity for small firms to, quote, stay small, act big, and do good. Sounds good, right? which is very much in alliance with the work that we're doing here at Entree Architect and the work that CBG is doing. So it's, it's, I, I, I'm enthused, enthused about what you're doing, Jordan. Um, uh, Christian, sorry. That's okay. It's, it's the, I'm it's sure the that happens names. all the time, yep, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's roll into your origin story. Sure. Uh, let's go back to where you discovered architecture, what inspired okay. you to become an architect, and tell us that story to where you are today. Sure. Uh, okay. Um, so uh, my father, Phil, uh, is an architect. He and I are uh, co-owners of PJ Architecture. Uh, and I guess the honest answer would be that in high school, my guidance counselor tells me that I'm not not good enough to play professional baseball and that I should probably get <laughs> serious about uh, what the rest of my life looks like. Was that uh, Was that counselor correct? Oh yeah, yeah. She was, <laughs> okay, she was correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in high school, uh, you know, the ball starts moving a little bit faster, and everybody's throwing a little bit harder, and you're kind of left like, well, maybe, maybe that dream has to die at some point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so then she mentions, well, your dad's an architect, and you're good at math. Why don't you think about architecture? <laughs> of course. Right. And yep. uh, uh, so, kind of growing up, seeing what my dad had had done, and, and he started the firm in 1993. So in high school, I was graduating in 2000. So he had uh, a little more than five years uh, under his belt having his own firm and um, just kind of watching the effort that he put in, uh, what he was able to provide for the family, and thinking that while he always said school was very difficult for him and tr- wanting to maybe take him at his word and give it a try, uh, I applied to a bunch of architecture schools in, in and around Philadelphia, uh, got into a number of them, um, and ended up at Philadelphia University, which was the College of Science and Textiles at the time, uh, and is now Jefferson University. So uh, I may use any of those interchangeably <laughs> as we talk. Um, but um, yeah, and and went through went through the, the five year Bachelor of Architecture program there. Um, was interning with with Phil at the time and decided that it was probably best for me to um, take a detour and work for perhaps a larger firm, mm-hmm. uh, which I did uh, while I was in school and then immediately upon graduation. And sometime after that, the opportunity presented itself for me to come back um, and. Luck, looking back on it, it was probably a good thing because the recession was coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody knew it at the time, uh, but it gave uh, Phil and I a chance to kind of uh, recalibrate and refocus and, and steer PJA through the recession so that we came out uh, a little bit leaner, a little bit more efficient um, and kind of, you know, the blood, sweat and tears is, is, a, is a real thing when um, – you're trying to drum up work and nobody's answering calls and you're kind of wondering where the next, uh, the next project might come from. Um, 
after graduation, I kind of back up a little bit. I, uh, I started teaching in 2006 and that was more or less like an experimental modeling um, course. It was based loosely on my thesis in school at the time. And that gave me a chance to kind of cultivate some real relationships with students uh, that were, were graduating and, and kind of with an eye towards what the culture of PGA uh, might eventually become. Uh, obviously, there was always some investment that that Phil had in me as his son, but wanting to kind of pay that forward and and make sure that anybody that we were employing uh, also got a chance to to benefit from from that. So, the the teaching was was good. It was a lot of fun. Through the recession, I ended up teaching a couple studios, uh, try to make make some ends meet, and uh, most recently, I'm now teaching a professional management course. Uh, at Jefferson, which kind of more closely aligns with my role here at PJA. You know, when I got licensed in 2012, uh, the idea was, okay, if I'm going to be a co-owner in this thing, I can't simply do what Phil does faster or younger or more efficient because where are we going? So we we took a look at what role I might be able to better service the firm in and the business development side was was absolutely where we probably needed the most um, effort. So you know, over the last three, four years, uh, I've been steadily branching more in that direction, uh, less architecture with a capital A on the production side, yeah. um, but absolutely looking for opportunities. Um, one of the great things about PJ are, are the clients that we work with and and wanting to take the service that we provide them and offer that to other clients um, and kind of diversify so that setting ourselves up such that if and when the economy does slow down a little bit, we're not feeling the, the sting as bad as we did um, in 08, 09, 2010. Um, and that kind of gets us to today. Um, I had I spent three years as the AIA Young Architect Regional Director for Pennsylvania. Um, that term just ended last year. Uh, and one of the things I'm kind of most proud about there was implementing the firm's Fostering Emerging Professionals Recognition Award uh, at the AIA Pennsylvania level. And what we do there is we, we ask firms to submit um, – answers to a questionnaire, three kind of distinct areas that show real uh, investment and effort to foster the emerging professionals that are in their, in their firms. Uh, an emerging professional has to, an emerging professional and a principal in the firm both have to submit so that we can do some follow-up. And, and that has been about 40, 50 firms a year um, since 2016. And that, that's kind of one of like the legacy, uh, things that I, I hope continues to go, uh, further now that, now that I'm stepping down as the, the regional director, but the idea of, of, um, fostering the relationships and the growth of, of emerging professionals is a big one. And I think that that's kind of the, the thing that's been impressed upon me the most. Everybody's like, how, how's working with, with your dad? And, and, uh, we get along great. We've got a really good relationship, but, but that, that kind of making sure that I'm seeing things that I otherwise might not get a chance to, um, if I was in another firm because I am his son is something that I want to kind of continue uh, to pass along yeah you know, regardless of the the relationship how is it working with your dad <laughs> no that's not <laughs> the question that. that's not uh, the question well i i i do want to go back there i don't that's not the question yeah. i want to ask okay, okay. <laughs> um 
But but I think that there are other architects who are listening who, who who may be in similar situations where maybe their mom or dad is leading a firm and they're considering moving into that firm and, and taking on some sort of role there with an expectation that you become a leader. Um, do you have any advice for those people that, that sort of are in that position on, on how best to approach that? Yeah, well, I, from my experience, the the best policy is to be honest and open uh, and not take anything for granted, right? Not assume that, um, you know, as much as I, I love my dad, and um, not assume that he's always looking out in my best interest. It sounds terrible, but when you break it down and say, okay, this is a business decision. Mm-hmm. What is our succession plan? What are the pitfalls that we might run into? It It really opens up a much greater um, opportunity to have a discussion about where the firm's going, where it's been, what it may not do the best and what it does do the best and how, how as a partnership you can push that forward. You know, it's a relationship and you have to kind of, you have to break down uh, any type of familial um, bonds essentially yeah. uh, that exist and just say, okay, we are going into this as business partners and what does that look like? And, and Phil and I have had a, a really good uh, relationship um, just kind of as professionals uh, that's, uh, that's been helpful. And that, that allows me to walk into his office and just say, Hey, I don't think this is working like we thought it did. What are your thoughts? You know, and then he can come to me and say, you know, what we did on this project or you know, this opportunity, we, we've got to we've got to try, you know, redouble our efforts. And that communication is key. And I'm sure most people attest to that as being key to most relationships. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> was that was that open, honest relationship an intentional? What did you did you establish some sort of structure day one or was that something that you learned through a couple of mistakes and some experiences and, or did you sort of know that going in that you, that needed to be there? Um, I think we always knew it needed to be there, but once we got an attorney involved and a financial planner involved and an accountant involved, having them counsel us, um, was also kind of like a little eye opening. Like, yeah, we really should have this, this buttoned up and we do need a, an operator's agreement that we are both signing and that we both, you know, revisit and we have annual meetings, um, about the state of the firm and, and where we're going. So uh, it was a little bit of both, um, but it's just a matter of uh, kind of knowing that you're working towards the same thing and not taking uh, the other one for granted, mm-hmm. right? Because that that relationship of father-son, mother-daughter, mother-son, you know, father-daughter, that um, you think kind of can take care of a lot of issues that pop up, but it, it actually might exacerbate the mm-hmm. problem if people are making assumptions or are not uh, uh, completely upfront with what they're they're feeling, do you yeah. you, have, you have employees? Yes. Yeah, how we have how many employees? Three, three, three employees. employees. Yep. Yeah, were, so. were they there from the beginning, or were that were they hired after you became partners? They were hired after I became partners. Um, and and the idea there was, if I'm going to drive kind of more of the business development side and the culture, um, that I had a hand in, in the hiring, the interviewing process. Um, and that's, that I think has been instrumental in witnessing Phil giving up some of the control that he Mm -hmm. had as a sole proprietor and basically saying, okay, I trust you, uh, to do this. And 
if we miss, yeah, you're going to you're going to share in some of the burden and uh, and the pain of perhaps having to fire somebody, which we haven't had to do. Um, but just kind of saying, OK, if we're going to run a firm together, you know, we're going to we're going to share the responsibilities and you're going to take the lead on this one. Yeah. And so those roles that were established up front, did you know that those were the roles that you excelled in or was that sort of uh, sort of a look at what where is your where is Phil strong and where mm-hmm. can I sort of fill in the gaps? Um, it's a little bit of both. As his son, I, I can kind of tell you where his his weaknesses lie. <laughs> yeah, you have some experience with him. <laughs> sure, but saying that to saying that to his face is another thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. But That's why also, I asked that. Yeah. Yeah, but then also being around, I saw where his strengths were and where he really excelled. And luckily, his strengths aren't necessarily mine. Yeah. And my strengths aren't necessarily his. So that kind of complementary relationship has been good. And I and I kind of always had an idea that uh, as a people person, that might be something that uh, I might eventually fit into in a firm, kind of that larger firm that I was with, seeing how stratified uh, a lot of the responsibilities were. Um, You have HR, you have uh, your business development, you have marketing, you have hiring principals, uh, project architects, project managers. And that was helpful in kind of saying, okay, in this small firm, all of those roles kind of exist, but they're the responsibilities are borne by two people or three people, and that's it. So you can't you can't negate any of those simply because you don't have the staff to do it. You have to kind of say, okay, who on staff fits these roles best, and how do we how do we uh, kind of all move this forward? Yeah, I think that's that's a very wise uh, decision that you had made. And that, what you just described about, you know, a small firm having to, you, you can't not do some of those things. If you're in business, there are certain things that you must do, mm-hmm. um, which sort of is a perfect opportunity to, to get into jam and what jam is. Yeah. We'll be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors at Entree Architect. Gusto. RCAP and FreshBooks. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. And old school payroll providers, they just don't get it. They aren't built for the way that we work today. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. They're different. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy for you to get things right. You no longer have to be a big company to get the great technology, those great benefits, and the great service for your team. To help support this show, the Entree Architect Podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today, and you'll get three months, three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto and claim your free three months of payroll processing today. entrearchitect.com slash gusto. For years, when I needed information on manufacturers' products, I headed straight to Google. Then I sifted through the hundreds of results to find the one or two that might be the link to the product that I'm looking for. And more often than not, the link was not what I was seeking. It was outdated or didn't meet my requirements, so I went back to the search engine and started all over again. And this could take all afternoon to find the two or three products that I need. 
Does this sound familiar? I know you've done this. There is a better way. It's called RCAT. RCAT.com. A-R-C-A-T.com. Find what you're looking for in seconds. Building product information, BIM, CAD, and custom specifications using their exclusive tool, SpecWizard. So make RCAT part of your efficient project workflow. Just type in entrearchitect.com slash RCAT in the internet browser and add that to your favorites. Just click that little favorites button, make RCAT your favorites, and then visit RCAT for every project. Make it part of your workflow. Find what you need fast and make more money on every project. entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. That's entrearchitect.com slash A-R-C-A-T. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. Getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice just seconds after starting their free trial. And the same goes for time tracking, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. It's fast and easy. And if you need help at any time, free award-winning customer service is just a phone call or an email away. And if you ever have second thoughts, don't worry. On top of our free trial here for Entree Architect listeners, you get a 30-day money-back guarantee so you don't ever have to worry about choosing FreshBooks. So give FreshBooks a try. Try it free for 30 days. Just visit entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks to access your free, unlimited 30-day trial. Gusto, RCAT, and FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So first of all, let's explain what Jam is and how mm-hmm. it was born. Sure. Uh, so Jam um, was born out of the AIA's Practice Innovation Lab, uh, which took place in Crystal City, Virginia, at a 1776 uh, incubator space. They're a co-working space that uh, specifically looks for startup firms and offers them resources within their co-working model. Um, but the Innovation Lab uh, invited – it was an open call for applications, and they – accepted 60 people, broke them into 10 teams of six. And a couple months prior to going down to Crystal City, they sent out an email introducing the team. And we had a chance to have a couple phone calls, uh, kind of understand who's, again, looking at it like small firm mentality, where the, where do the strengths lie? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we, how can we, when we meet down in Crystal City, how do we leverage those strengths? Um, so what was the, what was the application because it wasn't you weren't applying with an idea, right? You were applying as a correct. You were, exactly. Um, you had to put a little manifesto for what the future of architecture looked like, and I think I completely missed the mark on that, um, <laughs> based on where Jam is and and what my particular manifesto was. Um, but then you uh, you know your CV, um, why you think you might be a good fit for this innovation lab. Uh, it was the inaugural one. It was actually um, the Young Architecture Forum that is part of the AAA, they advocate for architects that are licensed less than 10 years. And every five years, they have a summit. 
and uh, 2017 was going to be a fifth year anniversary and this summit and uh, Evelyn Lee and Milan Durham set up this innovation lab. So the summit was going to be this innovation lab and you applied as an individual and they uh, curated the teams uh, among uh, Evelyn and Milan along with, I guess, the planning committee. And, um, you yeah, they know, were, they were diverse geographically, uh, diver- diverse gender, race, ethnicity, but we were almost all architects still. <laughs> um, so that was was good in that we all saw the potential problems facing the, the practice. Um, but in terms of like true innovation, uh, it probably could have benefited even more from outsiders. Uh, and that's kind of some, that was like the big takeaway. So were there outsiders in the lab as, or were they everybody who applied were architects? Almost everybody that was there was an architect or had some design background. Um, there were some data scientists there. Um, there were some, um, professional academics, um, some PhDs, some professors, uh, but by and large, we all had architecture degrees, bachelors or masters. Um, the So we get there on a Thursday night. We're introduced to everybody. We meet our team. And then Friday is working sessions that are punctuated by keynote speakers. So like James Patton of Patton Studio and mm-hmm. Susan Chin, uh, the executive director of the Design Trust for Public Space. They were among the speakers that spoke about uh, design and innovation and I remember we could sign up for a uh, consultation with one of the, the keynote speakers. And we signed up for Susan Chin at, I think, 2.30 on Friday. So by Saturday morning at 9 a.m., all of the teams were going to be assembled and they were going to pitch what the future of architectural business practice looked like. So 2.30 on Friday, we have Susan Chin come in. Uh, we're in a little 8 by 8 room with a glass on, I think, three sides and, you know, our laptops are precariously perched on our, on our knees and and we have our whiteboards and, and, and markers going and Susan comes in and I start talking about what we think our, our pitch is and I can see that I'm losing her. I'm, I'm starting to ramble. Eric, it is all architects. No. So you did, you did some brainstorming prior, prior. Oh yeah, yeah. That was Friday. So we you know we'd, we'd have these keynote speakers. We'd get back into this little room. We'd huddle. We'd talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about it. And every step of the way, we thought, "Wow, we're getting closer." Or that keynote speaker spoke exactly to what we were trying to do. Right. Um, and when Susan comes in, and I'm talking, and I and I'm rambling and I'm like, oh, and we can do this and we can also do this. And maybe it's a little bit of this and just you know, having a flashback to those horrible studio moments where, you know, the jury's not really interested or they're paying attention and you're, you've lost them and you're just kind of talking. And at one point I just kind of folded my arms and said, but I think we've missed the mark. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Susan looks at me and she says, yeah, you're going to have to be more punchy than this. And was it was it because there just wasn't a core to it? it just- exactly. There there wasn't a this is the mm-hmm. idea, yep. right? We were pointing to to pie charts on the walls and graphs and you know little diagrams and there was and no story yet. No, there wasn't at this point. And um, we had a, a, a small conversation, um, and then Susan left. 
And Mike Anglin, one of our one of our founders, just kind of dejectedly puts his head down in, in uh, his book. Um, we had two books uh, for that. One was Blue Ocean Strategies, and, and the other one was uh, Ten Types of Innovation. And he just kind of buries his head in the in the innovation book, and he lifts it. And he says, "I don't know. What if we had some type of like membership or subscription model?" Like kind of jokingly, but also just kind of like, what are we going to do? We've got to present in, in 18 hours. Um, and we just said, you know what, that's it, you know, subscription, the membership model that's already in, um, the profession of architecture. Autodesk is causing us to do this. You know, Adobe's got, uh, their, their subscription, but leveraging a, something like a nominal fee, from a small firm. And at this point we didn't know it was small firms yet, but like, okay, let's just, what could we offer, uh, as a membership and what, what could you get from it? And Mike and I are from our, our principals of two small firms, um, Abby, Desmond, Jared, and Katie, they were all with medium to larger firms. And we just started talking and we, and then we started, we looked at the numbers and 21,000, uh, architecture firms in the country as of, I think 2012 or 2014, Five percent of those firms have fifty or more people and are considered large firms. That same five percent accounts for fifty-two percent of architectural billings. So that leaves ninety-five percent of firms with forty-two percent of architectural billings in the country. And then you look at that ninety-five percent and you realize seventy-seven percent have nine or fewer people. And and then that leaves the other uh, with. 10 to 49, uh, was, was the medium size in this case. And so then we started thinking, okay, that gives us a much broader market reach if we can focus on the small to medium firms. So what, besides size, what differentiates them and thinking about the resources that large firms typically have in house. And this is where it was really instrumental having, uh, Jared, Abby, Desmond, and Katie there, Mike and I were kind of brainstorming what the issues are facing small firms. But they were able to say, well, you know, at, at our firm, we have a dedicated marketing department and we have a uh, contract re or, con or dispute resolution uh, component that is staffed by lawyers or attorneys. And um, wouldn't it be great if this nominal fee allowed you access to these resources? as a small firm. So that was one, um, portion of jam that we kind of thought through and, and built out, uh, in our minds. And then the other one was, well, one of the things facing small firms is how do you, how do you hedge against perhaps a market downturn or you have a week or two where our clients, um, may not be making a decision because some of our clients are smaller. They may be on vacation, which means a decision is not being made for 10 days. Um, wouldn't it be great to have some type of network where a firm has on staff um, somebody who's, who's wonderful at rendering or is perhaps a sustainability expert? They could connect with another firm uh, in this database, in the JAM database, and and share the expertise because we're all members kind of working towards the same the same goal um so that was then the, the second component so it's firm to firm which is um kind of connecting the firms uh, uh, one of the other stories that we like to tell was uh mike's firm in tucson they've done several poetry museums across the country 
And, uh, you know, it's a typology that I, I, don't, I hadn't even heard of, but yeah. the thinking about when you get a request for proposal as a small firm, you check off a lot of those boxes more often than not, but then there, there may be one or two things where, well, we've never done that, or we don't have the expertise there. Wouldn't it be great if your jam membership allowed you to filter through who are other members and lo and behold, there's a poetry museum and you can reach out to Mike's firm in Tucson and plug them in to your, uh, your, your response to the request for proposal. And you have a team that checks off the boxes under your firm, but then also has a relationship with this other firm who does poetry museums uh, and, and their completed work is part of your, your, your proposal. So um, firm to firm, Firm to Jam being the resources that we would provide, marketing, uh, legal advice like contract review, uh, graphic design, things that small firms typically don't have in-house. And then thinking about the revenue, as it builds and as, as that revenue builds, a Jam to Community component uh, is one that we also don't want to lose sight of. And that one would be revenue gets earmarked for grants uh, that member firms could apply for and those that money could offset pro bono services or it could be used for uh, a donation to a design collaborative in the community. So thinking through the three kind of components that make up JAM, firm to firm, firm to JAM and JAM to community. Those are kind of the three things that we're working with. And, uh, and that's kind of it in a nutshell, all uh, to go back to your, the, the point that you started with allowing firms to stay small, act big and do good. You know, that's kind of the vision that we don't want to lose sight of. And once we got to that somewhere between Friday night and early Saturday morning in the lobby of the hotel, uh, we felt like we had something. And it was when we realized that as we were asking questions of ourselves, we had an answer because it fit within the framework um, of Jam. That's when we, we, we felt uh, like we were onto something. Yeah, you knew, and and there was a story. It sort of all mm -hmm. sort of, it started to tie together. You know, you had you had very specific, easily communicated ideas, mm -hmm. um, sort of all tied up around you know one one big concept. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. and that's why you won the the competition with CVG as well. You you submitted you know a business plan for Jam as a team, um, and you went through the the semifinals. You went through the mm -hmm. the uh, the finals, and you won the thing. And um, yeah. it uh, it's a great idea. Hey, well, um, we appreciate that. It was it was a grueling process, uh, the CVG competition. And uh, if you missed the opportunity to be part of the 2019, I would absolutely encourage you, uh, any firm out there to do it in 2020. It had been on kind of my list of things to do for a while <laughs> as an in, as a firm owner. But then Jam gave me the opportunity to kind of go uh, after it and, and really kind of test some of the the business plan and value propositions that we were we were suggesting. Did you did you find the value of going through that process? Did it help sort of solidify what Jam was and and how it was going to be launched? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the the application phase allowed us to to build out more of what we were what we were considering um, because we're all full-time architects and thankfully things are good as you and I were talking about before we, we hopped on that things right now are pretty good. So architecture firms are lucky to be busy, 
but that doesn't give us as as six architects a lot of time to to build out uh, the jam side of things. So the the CVG competition allowed us to really focus on okay, this is our application. Hey, we made the semifinals. What else? How else can we augment? What else do we want to say? Oh, we've made the the finals, and now we're down to five. Like we need to be serious about this, and and that was was definitely helpful in moving uh moving the pro the process along. Yeah the 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 current status. I'm not sure when this video is or this audio is going to be released. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you have the opportunity, because there are there are many people who register and then don't follow through with it. Sure. And so if you're listening, if you've already registered, because registration's closed, but if you've already registered and you are on the fence on whether you're going to spend the time on putting together your your um, your executive summary mm -hmm. don't delay definitely do yeah. it you can see you know what what's happened with with uh, Christian and his team um, it definitely it, it'll it, people even if you don't go to the next level it's beneficial to go through the process mm -hmm. yeah I agree so what's what's the status of jam now that was about a year ago that you sure. you won the well uh, no you you know just the yeah, yeah. About a year ago, we went through the process. Um, you and I met over the summer at uh, the uh, AA conference in New York. Um, so right now, we're in a in a beta phase where we are, as founders, uh, personally curating our database. So we are reaching out to uh, known contacts within our networks. And I think it's it's important to point out that um, Jared and I are both in Philadelphia. Abby is in Washington D.C. Katie is in Detroit. Desmond is in Atlanta and Mike is in Tucson. Um, so we have a, a kind of like broad uh, coalition of geographic areas and we're, we're leveraging our contacts and our involvement in professional organizations to reach out to small, medium firms and, and just kind of get in front of them and, and talk to them about what the benefits of Jam would be. So if any any small firm uh, or medium-sized firm, anyone who's listening that's interested in, in learning more about JAM, um, they can certainly find out more information through the website. They can submit uh, their contact information, and one of the founders will personally follow up with a phone call. And, and we think that there's value in that because we're now able to kind of dig a little bit deeper into what makes the firm run, where they might need some help. And we're, we're, we're building out this database so that we can identify what resources – our member firms need the most. Right. Um, it's kind of, and and the, the the question comes up. Well, what's your pricing structure? And one of them, one of the the answers is, at the moment, we need the database. Right. Um, and the information because if I if I hedge my bets and say every firm that joins Jam is going to want contract uh, review, so I go out and hire two full time attorneys. That capital that capital outlay is much different than 400 firms signing up, and perhaps they only need uh, some graphic design help that could be handled with a local graphic designer on retainer. Right. <laughs> and so that that would completely skew the uh, the pricing model. So this beta phase is uh, the personal involvement of the founders to kind of see where the synergies lie. And uh, for for some reason, we've had a lot of a lot of traction in California. Um, some 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 larger firms have even reached out to say, "How could we help support small firms?" Oh, wow. um, That's yeah, great. which which yeah, which was which was one that I, I hadn't expected to field. Uh, that that one might be something you can sort of uh, leverage that sort of yep. build, build a program for that mm -hmm. for the large firms to sort of help support this this network. 
Yeah. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, so fielding those phone calls, having the conversations is definitely a way for us to, to kind of understand what, uh, what our, our member firms need. Right. So if, if somebody who's listening, cause we're all small firms listening mm-hmm. right now. Um, if we want to sort of get on your net, your network and get into your mm-hmm. database. So, so you can learn from us and we can yep. you know, uh, learn more about you. How do they do that? Uh, they can go to the website, jamcollective.com, uh, and there's a connect, and they can put in their, their information. They can also reach out over social media. Uh, we're active on Instagram and Twitter, um, and and that would be the best way for them them to reach out. And depending on the geographic location, uh, firm size, the information that you share, uh, you know, the, the most relevant founder uh, for that, that particular case will reach out and we'll, we'll uh, have a conversation. All right, I'm super excited about Jam. I, I'm I'm uh, oh, I was in, I'm enthused about it. I um, it, it w- I was inspired by it when uh, when I you know I was on the jury that selected the the winners for that competition, and mm-hmm. I really uh, was impressed with the idea and and the um, the team itself. So, well, thank you. We appreciate that. We are we we are proud of the effort so far. And and we're kind of now it, we turn the page into 2019, saying this is the year that that Jam becomes something. You know, we're kind of done gaining the momentum of the Innovation Lab, the CVG competition, and now it's now it's time to to make it something. Great. Yeah. So before we wrap up here, what is uh, one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Um, I'll actually go back to something that you said about. Uh, don't delay. If there's something that you recognize, because th- oh, sorry. So this is this is something that that I was just talking to my students the other day. Uh, I teach a professional management course at Jefferson, and the idea that we are all problem solvers. We are all we all have a degree in architecture or design, and that really sets us up for being able to creatively solve problems that are presented to us. And most of the time we we get in front of uh, the computer or a client and we're solving that particular problem. But if you open up your skill set to the business side of architecture, you can, you can very easily identify what those problems might be and then don't delay in, in trying to solve the problem. Right. Don't just say we don't do this well. We don't do this well. We don't do this well. Because if you keep that up and keep that mindset up, you're never going to change it. So utilize the skills that you have as an architect and solve the problem. And you know, you and I both know, and and, and the listeners know that sometimes you have to iterate through uh, a design solution to get to the right one. But that that that's where that's where we are best as architects so take the skills that you have apply them to business and if you're doing something better uh tomorrow than you were doing it today you're you're better off than you were you know the, yeah. over the last you know 12 months or however long you've been kicking it around in your mind very very good advice we actually just published an article written by steve wintner uh, mm-hmm. on the blog who um it was, it's called the uh, the simple power, a simple power of 1%. I think it was something like that. Um, And it's about if you just do things 1% better, they Mm -hmm. they compound Mm -hmm. and they become significant. Um, It's a really interesting article. He actually looks at it in terms of dollars, that if you you have net revenue of just 1% more and or you reduce expenses just 1% less, 
to see those numbers add up. It's pretty in, in, interesting and impressive. And so um, don't delay to make those changes. You know, that, that mm. if you don't have the data to pursue something that you want to pursue this year and you just keep pushing it off because you don't have the data, well, you're not going to have the data next year either if you don't yeah. start collecting the data now. Yeah. And so a very, very wise uh, advice there. So the, on the web, the, web the, the website for your architecture firm, if anybody wants to go mm -hmm. check you out there, is pjarch.com. Uh -huh. And Jam Collective is J-A-M-B, as in boy, J-A-M-B collective.com. What does Jam stand for? So Jam is actually an acronym of um, the founder's last names. And uh, we have a couple extra number, or letters in there, but they all are J's or M's, A's or B's. Um, so we actually went there with business cards, with Jam, and two, two J's, two, B, two M's or a B, an extra B, and then we clarified it because we didn't know what we were we just wanted a name for ourselves yeah. like the idea of jam but it kind of gets to the other the other talking or the other kind of motto uh or slogan within jam is that we connect support and open new doors and that that reinforces the jam with a b uh ethos of uh of, of an architectural door jam yeah very um, good yeah so yeah. jamcollective.com. Go check that out. Again, mm -hmm. on Instagram, uh, Instagram and Twitter, at Jam Collective. Just tweet them out. Say thank you. Thank, and uh, if you have any questions, you can probably grab, grab an answer there as well if you're interested. Yeah. Uh, Christian, this was a great conversation. I appreciate you for uh, spending some time with me. I know you're busy. We've, uh, we've rescheduled this, this discussion <laughs> yes, we have. multiple yeah. times, which is good, yeah. which means that you've been busy. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that you uh, that we finally had that opportunity to to talk about this and to share your your collective idea for Jam. Well, thanks, Mark, for having me, uh, and I hope um, I hope to hear from uh, any and all of your listeners. Always always up for a conversation, and uh, look forward to hearing from. Them. All right, thanks for being here at Entree Architect Podcast. So episode 259, what do you think of that idea? What do you think about networking small firms and pr providing some support for them? I think Jam Collective is a, is a great idea. I, I can't wait to see it develop and to hear more progress. We'll have Christian come back and talk about that sometime. I would love to do that. But if this episode was something that you found interesting, send it to a friend. It's entrearchitect.com slash episode 259. That's the link. Share it. Post it on Twitter put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook, pop it into an email and send it to your best friend. Say, hey, this was this was one that you, you should listen to. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 259. And EntreeArchitect membership, you should be there. It's a new masterclass expert training webinar every month. Access to our entire training archive, more than 40 training sessions, more than 40 hours of training sessions inside Entree Architect membership. Access to all our resources, including hybrid proposal, uh, the foundations documents, the Get Focused course. It's all in there for free as a member. Once you're a member, you have unlimited access to all of that and an invitation to join our private Entree Architect member forum powered by Slack. Training, resources, and that private community for small firm architects, it's what you need. It's where the Entree Architects are gathering to build their small businesses. That's the Entree Architect membership. Join hundreds of your fellow entrepreneur architects and me inside Entree Architect membership. Gain full instant access today right there on the homepage at entrearchitect.com. 
My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.